If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Wednesday, April 10th, 2019, which is just before Drew boards the Millennium Falcon for Chicago, where he will not only be covering this year's Star Wars celebration, but you'll be paneling as well. Yeah. Sadly, I will not be making the Kessel Run with with Mr. Taylor. Uh, Some last-minute family stuff came up, but I'm sure that you and Dan Z, my my co-host on the Looking at Lucasfilm podcast, We'll have an incredible time when you're wandering around McCormick Place, which is roughly the size of Iowa. Yeah, I was told that our, our hotel and the convention center are connected by a some kind of channel that has restaurants. I'm sure the finest uh, restaurants uh, Chicago has to offer. Um, I mean, have you had even had time to unpack yet? You were, you were up in Emeryville just last <laughs> week for, for Toy Story 4, right? Or... Not no, not really. I the the suitcase is still out, so yeah, I'm just gonna just gonna pack it up again and say goodbye to my lovely fiance and and puppy and just mm-hmm. leave leave them again. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to the Toy Story four related stuff at the back half of today's show. But first and foremost, the big news of the week is Rich Moore decamping from Walt Disney Animation Studios over to Sony Pictures Animation, which I, I think is kind of huge. No, I think it's it's really mm-hmm. big. He was huge, and we'll get into what he he's mm-hmm. done, but seemingly has a lot of had a lot of things in the in the fire in terms of franchises and things like that at Disney. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really interested. Should we start by acknowledging the elephant in the room? Because face it, if you look at what you know his duties are now over at uh, at Sony, that this let's see, I'm quoting from. The Hollywood Reporter here, they more will be developing, producing, and helming original animated features for Sony Pictures Animation, and will also be available to act in an advisory capacity for ongoing feature films and series-based projects. In, in, in short, this is the chief creative officer role, which, you know, this time last year, you and I were hearing that Rich was under consideration for at Disney, because, of course... John Lasseter had stepped away for a six-month sabbatical, and, you know, there was that whole period of Disney putting out the trial balloons about, you know, well, can John come back, and if, can he come back in strictly an advisory position, and because they felt like they needed the creative input. But ultimately, there were two incredibly strong candidates for this. So one was Rich Moore, and one was Jennifer Lee, and Disney decided to go with Jennifer Lee. Nothing wrong with that choice. I mean, this is the woman behind Frozen. Given why John had to step down, I, I think there was a thinking at Disney that maybe by putting Jennifer as the chief creative officer, it would send a message to the rest of the industry that, you know, the bad old days of Disney not being necessarily a place that was comfortable for female artists and animators to work, those days were done. Right. But at the same time, that also meant that Rich got passed over, and it's something else that just I, I want to kind of put out there that Ralph was the film 
that was in the pipeline when all this Lassiter stuff went down. It's tough to make a movie when you don't have a firm hand at the wheel, when a, suddenly you go from one guy at the top kind of calling the shots to a lot of people. And you have to wonder if sort of the one-two punch here of, you know, you almost became the chief creative officer and, and frankly, Ralph Breaks the Internet was maybe a, a little tougher to make than it should have been. What have you heard? Well, you know, I, the thing about Ralph 2 is also that it was in production before Zootopia. This is true. And then he, uh, along with mm -hmm. Jim Reardon, who is one of his, you know, Simpsons mm -hmm. guys, came over and kind of like... Uh, fixed Zootopia yep. and sort of made that ready mm -hmm. to go. Might have just been that it was just sort of like mm -hmm. cooking for too long, but I do think it's pretty amazing that he either co-directed or directed three feature films in a six-year period and three big animated movies. I mean, can you can you think of anybody else that's done something like that, especially in this day and age? No. I've been lucky enough to talk to, to Rich a couple of times now, and he is the nicest guy. He really is, yeah. So, you know, in a weird sort of way that, you know, I was both delighted for him and dismayed for Disney, because it's just sort of like, you know, I love that he has this opportunity, especially at Sony, given that they're just coming off of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and what that potentially means for that studio, if they, if they choose to continue to go, go down that path. and But at the same time, for Disney, it's like, these sort of things are hard to do. And the fact that Rich and Jim Reardon, you know, did that rescue mis mission on Zootopia when, you know, after all those years of Byron and Jared sort of trying to figure out how to make their spy movie. Right. You know, Rich has made so much damn animation. When you think about, he was one of the first three directors on The Simpsons, right? Him and yeah. uh, Brad Bird and, and David Silverman, I want to say. Yeah, and the last time I actually ran into David Silverman <laughs> was at the scoring of Zootopia. I came one day and watched them score, watched Michael Giacchino oh. score. And it was me and Jim Reardon and uh, David Silverman sitting in the back watching them score. It was really a, a really Holy fun day. Cow. But that was the last time I saw him, yeah. What's great about Rich is he has the eye. The five years that he was really heavily into working on The Simpsons, he was the guy who noticed that, you know, remember how the show initially was basically about Bart? I mean, you know, eat my shorts, you know, all that. But but Rich was the guy who, you know, it's like, you know, the really interesting character is Homer. Because he's basically a dog in a man suit. If we move the show in that direction, I think there's a lot more potential. And it was kind of the same thing he did when Lassiter brought him on board. I guess he invited him in, what, 2008 to come over? To Disney, and right. you know, and we have this video game project, you know, that we've made a couple of runs at Joe Jump and High Score and all that. And what can you do here? And and so Rich started developing it. It was going to be all about Fix It Felix and how he was unsatisfied in his game and wanted to expand his horizons. But but over time, Rich noticed, you know, the really interesting character is the Donkey Kong guy who throws garbage down, on, you know, on, on Fix It Felix. And kind of the same thing with Zootopia. I mean, he walked in the door and, you know, realized pretty early on that, you know, they had been trying to build the movie around Nick. And it's like, Judy's the interesting one. I just get concerned when somebody like that, the practiced eye, walks out of the room. Because you can be miles down the wrong road before you figure out we're not making the movie about the right person. And the other thing, I guess, that concerns me here is that 
Rich has been joined at the hip on these last couple of projects with producer Clark Spencer, who you were saying that Clark is already working on something new for Disney, right? Yeah, Clark Clark's working on another feature, but he wouldn't tell me okay. which one. It's not the Dean Wellens mm-hmm. movie, so Okay. And Dean Wellens' movie is not the space movie he's been working on for a hundred years, but so it's something new. So I'm very excited to see where both Walt Disney Animation Studios and, and Sony are gonna go with this both vacuum and now influx of talent. It seems like Sony is really stacking stacking the cards pretty heavily over there, and I'm I'm excited. The literally the only downside to this is that, and I know he works fast, I mean, again, but we're we're at least, what, three years out before we'll see a new Richmore movie? Because obviously, the guy has to get over there and, and get started on something. Though, speaking of movies, we'll see a lot sooner than that, uh, October of this year. What did you make of that Adams Family teaser that came out earlier this week? I thought it was pretty terrible. I mean, I think... I love the conceit of them trying to replicate the cartoons mm-hmm. in, in three dimensions, but you obviously have to account for those three mm-hmm. dimensions, and I don't think they really did that. It was also very weird that there was that awkward it mm-hmm. joke. It also proves, I think, that some people just aren't great voice actors, and I think Charlize Theron, she's a wonderful actress, but maybe not a great voice actor. Yeah, I, I was not sold at all. What, what did you think? I'm not there look-wise. I mean, I, I have to admit, the design, especially for, you know, again, this is going out into theaters. But again, <laughs> at the same time, this is nitrogen. These are the folks who did Sausage Factory. I have to look at this thing and think, look, it, it's Conrad Vernon who's directing this. I mean, and again, he did uh, Monsters vs. Aliens for DreamWorks, which I think has some amazing action scenes and, and it gets some good mm-hmm. comedy. Likewise, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, which again, I get it. It's the third Madagascar movie. Who wants to go see that? But that has a couple of scenes in it that are just amazing. The European circus thing that's done to uh, Katy Perry's fireworks and the finale. So, because he's associated with this. Also, Matt Lieberman, who, who wrote the script for Christmas Chronicles. Did you see that Netflix thing? No, I haven't watched it. I, I will watch it this holiday season. It's yeah. Kurt Russell as Santa. Yeah, that's a pretty good hook. It was yeah. a surprisingly <laughs> strong script and an amazing performance by him. So between Conrad and Matt, I'm willing to give this thing a pass for now. It's just sort of like, I want to see the film. And, and like I said, I like the, you shall my battleship joke or, or, you know, the whole, you know, get out. We're home. Yeah. <laughs> that's enough to think, okay, maybe this might work. On the other hand, we didn't get the CinemaCon, neither you or I this year, but the news about Cats, the movie? <laughs> I wonder if we're even allowed to talk about this, because this, this really, it's, okay, it's CG, it's performance capture. And they're the size of cats. Well, you know, this is why I wish, when they were shooting, I guess they shot from December of this past year to, they just finished up this month. I wish we'd been able to find out how to get you in there, because the Evidently, they built these giant sets for people to climb around as cats. And it's got the guy who choreographed Hamilton as the choreographer. And this sounds like the stupidest <laughs> thing. I mean, cats, cats is stupid to begin uh, with, but this, this sounds terrible. <laughs> Universal is very behind this thing, although they didn't show any footage at CinemaCon, which you've, you've noted is not a great sign. That's never a good thing, but 
But on the other hand, when you look at the cast, you get Jennifer Hudson as Grizabel, you got uh, Judy Dench as Old Deuteronomy. It's directed by a Tom Hooper, who did Lay Miz for Universal, which they released that December 2012. And it's basically the same slot for Cats. So. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, that Lay Miz was terrible, and this is going to be awful. And, you know, I wonder if this, you know, we always talk about yep. Wicked and whether or not Wicked will be at mm-hmm. the parks, but I wonder if the su- success or failure of this will impact the adaptation that they're supposed to have out, what, next yeah. year or the year after? Yeah. All right. I don't know. Well, on the other hand, maybe this is how they're doing the flying monkeys. That's true. <laughs> on a more upbeat Universal-related note, just today we got news about the Circuit Life of Pets ride that's being built at Universal Studios Hollywood. This has been kind of common knowledge for a while now. I mean, they started tearing down the Globe Theater back in July of last year, and there's been all this talk about how they wanted to sort of create a Illuminations mini land at that park. So this yes. Secret Life of Pets ride mm-hmm. is right across the street from that theme park's uh, Despicable Me Minion Mayhem attraction. Well, listen, all you, all you have to do is j- go up to Universal and go to the little kind of roundabout where the old school neon mm-hmm. sign is. And the show mm-hmm. building for this attraction is huge. And it actually juts mm-hmm. out into that kind of like roundabout. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really the worst kept secret in Universal LA. Well, besides the, you know, the giant cranes that are putting together the Mario Land down on the lower lot. But we, we can't talk there about that. Yeah, there you know, go. That's the, you know, that's too too taboo. But Okay, um, so... Well, yeah, what do you know about this uh, attraction? I'm intrigued by the press release that went out today. Again, it's called Secret Life of Pets Off the Leash. And according to the press release, it says, We'll mix live, dimensional, and animated characters with hyper-realistic media as guests zip along... Or, aboard ride vehicles through a bustling New York street. And it's like, you caught the word live in there, right? Yeah, I hit on that too. And now I know they have live actors in their Walking Dead attraction. Which is now right now, which is going to be right next door. Yeah, (laughs) which I do (laughs) hope that the guy in the full, you know, Walking Dead zombie makeup doesn't come out the wrong door because (laughs) welcome to universal and yes we will be paying for your child's therapy (laughs) remember we've got that secret life of pets 2 coming out in june so you gotta wonder if we're gonna see a track you know characters from that folded into this thing or if it's just gonna stick and obviously we're only gonna have Patton oswald voicing that character well we do know we do know that these are trackless ride vehicles correct that's what i've heard but again this is the problem there's a line in here that says as guests zip along a track aboard ride vehicles so it's a press release folks written by somebody who's probably as good a writer as i am so (laughs) it's probably wrong yeah, well, I mean, we're going to see the new trailer for this tomorrow. Oh. It's it's coming out for National Pets Day. They sent Nova a little care package. Oh. So you'll you'll see her in her Secret Life of Pets 2 bandana. And it's funny because I, I shot mm-hmm. something for Secret Life of Pets 2 at, the, at a kind of custom content mm-hmm. day. And you'll really appreciate that at the very end, it was Lake Bell, Dana Carvey, and Bobby and Moynihan. At the very mm-hmm. end, Dana Carvey looked into the camera and mm-hmm. said, it's the most fun you'll have this summer, and then he and then he turned into his Hans mm-hmm. and Franz character and said, "Sorry, Toy Story Four, we already know that story." <laughs> and I thought you would appreciate oh, that. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> uh, again, we'll we'll be getting that second half of the show, but we have <laughs> other things coming out this summer. Okay, so we we got our our new Lion King trailer that also dropped 
just today. And look, I really want to like this John Favreau movie. I mean, I'm impressed by how realistic the animals look, but the fact that it, it seems to be this slavish shot for shot for shot. Yeah. That really is starting to turn me off. Yeah, I mean, my question is, the, the characters don't seem to have as much character mm -hmm. as they did in mm -hmm. Jungle Book. I mean, those characters, as you know, they were they were all a lot bigger than they are mm -hmm. in real life um, to kind of approximate the relationship uh, that the characters had in the animated mm -hmm. version. But yeah, I just wonder how we're going to get expressions out of a tiny meerkat that looks really like a mm -hmm. meerkat, and who is going to want a... Timon and Pumbaa plush when it looks like a scary warthog, you know, coming out of the Sahara. I don't know. I don't. I'm. I'm very interested, especially post Dumbo. It, things feel a little oh bit different. Oh my god! Yeah, you gotta wonder what people at Disney are thinking right now, especially on the heels of the sixty percent fall off for ticket sales in weekend number two. That can't feel good for the folks who were, you know, yeah. behind these live action things, though. So, so you, you got to wonder, you know, going forward, are they going to change the promotion? What's the takeaway from Dumbo? Because if you go to Deadline or that sort of thing, the ad they're using over there is basically of the young Simba standing in the footprint of Mufasa, which again, uh -huh. from the original film, that image that so many people think of when they, you know, think of the Lion King, that didn't come from Roger Ellers. That didn't come from Rob Minkoff. You know, Don Hahn told me that that wasn't even in the script that Linda Wolverton wrote. It was something that an intern, somebody who was just sort of passing through the production, came up with. That's so and cool. That galvanized the film. That's what I love about animation is those moments where a film will turn on a suggestion that just one member of the crew makes. I mean, do you remember them talking about the story meeting where they're they're still. 16 months out from release and they have no clue what the relationship is between Elsa and the Snow Queen and everybody's sort of sitting in the meeting tearing their hair out and somebody from the back of the room is like maybe they're sisters you know and it's like what? No they couldn't wow. be. No, no, wait a minute and that became the whole movie Did you notice on the credits on the trailer though that Julie Taymor is an executive producer? Really? So they, they cite Julie mm -hmm. Taymor as an executive producer they don't take anything from the Broadway show. Hmm. I mean, the Rafiki is mm -hmm. a man. You know, it's it's exactly the same as the animated show. But I wonder why she has that credit. My understanding is that Disney and Tamor had a falling out on the heels of Lion King because she spent a year or more developing her follow-up project was this really dark version of Disney's Pinocchio. Oh, wow. I never heard that. Yeah, she had really gone down this road where, you know, Disney's like, yeah, we don't want to make that. <laughs> you know, we will still send you your checks for you know, the stage version of Lion King, thank you. And and if you turn out every time we open a new company, we'd really appreciate that. But we're not making that. Well, they put out her very bad version of The Tempest, <laughs> the movie. I don't know if you ever saw that. I think three people saw it, including well, myself. But, okay, yeah. that, that, that I missed. <laughs> Speaking of other things that are coming out from Disney, obviously, again, tomorrow is the big day. We have our Investor's Day. Things things are leaking already, yeah, Jim. They're yeah. leaking all over I the mean, place. I was fascinated by the release yesterday of the first 10 shows, so to speak. And in fact, I know you and I have talked about Leslie Iwerks 
And, you know, she's got that, she's been working on that Imagineering documentary for years. And now I guess what they've decided to do with that is a whole series of documentaries. I think yeah. that's cool. I think that's a, that's amazing. Yeah, there's going to be some really cool stuff coming. But, do, you know, what's interesting, just briefly on the Disney Plus side, you know, one of the big things about the thing is the High School Musical mm-hmm. show. And did you see that right on the heels of Rich Moore announcing that he was leaving is that Kenny Ortega is leaving and going to Netflix. And he would have been a huge asset for the show. And, you know, he still is for Disney Channel. So I find that really surprising. That's going to make promoting Descendants 3 this summer kind of interesting. You know, (laughs) speaking of news coming out about uh, Disney Plus, we got all sorts of info about the Monsters, Inc. animated series, uh, Monsters at Work, I guess it's called. Were you surprised that they got Crystal and Goodman to come back to voice Wazowski and Sully in this thing? Or Yeah, but from what I understand, they're going to be, you know, on the sidelines. Yeah. They're not the main characters, yeah. so it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. The conceit, and again, this is from the press fleet, folks. Monsters at Work supposedly picks up six months after the original Monsters, Inc. movie, and power plant now has changed over to harvesting the the laughter of children the series is actually built around an engineer who works at uh, monsters inc tyler tuskman and he dreams of getting on the laugh floor and you know becoming a like sully like mike so this is you know sort of the notion of they're going to be passing through mike and and sully right i mean it, right they're sort of like the the elder hmm. statesman of the world. What was fascinating about who's developed the show for Disney, and this is Bob Scanaway, who created Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Jake and the Neverland Pilots for Disney Junior. But on the other hand, if you have kids who are somewhat older, who love the Disney Toon projects like the Disney Fairies or the, the Planes movies, Bob's wrote the, the screenplay for the original Planes and Fire and Rescue. He also wrote the script for at least two of the Disney Fairy films, uh, Secret of the Wings and the fairy pirate, or excuse me, the pirate fairy. On, on the other hand, for me, one of the reasons I love Bob's is he wrote the script to, to Cats Don't Dance, which is a great Mark Dindle movie. If you haven't seen it, go see that yeah. movie, folks. Yeah. So this is a guy who can straddle sophisticated adult stuff, can can do kids. And given the voice cast, where, you know, for example, we've got Aisha Taylor voicing Tyler's dad. I, I, I got to think this is more in the sort of sophisticated adult wheelhouse, don't you think? I hope so. I don't know what it's going to look like. That's another big question Mm -hmm. mark. All they said is that Walt Disney Television Animation is Mm -hmm. handling it, but you and I both know they don't actually do any animation in-house. It's always kind of farmed out to different folks. Some some are better than others. But yeah, I would love to know what the look of it is. I'm also very curious Mm -hmm. if any of that material from the Mm -hmm. Disney sequel to Monsters, Inc., the Studio Mm -hmm. 7 sequel, if that makes it... Circle 7, I'm sorry. If any of the Circle 7 stuff makes it into this... Or if this was the concept for that movie. Oh, jeez, I hope so. I mean, I do have a copy of that screenplay that I need to share with you. Because honestly, somebody at Disney or Pixar has to pull that script out of the wreckage of Circle 7. Because it, it is, it's an amazing story. It, it's, it should have been made. But, but speaking of sequels that didn't or shouldn't or maybe, you were just up at Amoryville for, for Toy Story <laughs> 4, which... I have great nervousness about because I love how Toy Story 3 ended. But we'll talk about that when we get back from our break. 
I feel like I need to start here by mentioning another sequel, Muppets Most Wanted. Came out March of 2014, and Brett McKenzie and Christopher Beck wrote this wonderful opening song for that, that movie called we're, we're Doing a Sequel, which included these lines. We're doing a sequel. That's what we do in Hollywood. And everybody knows the sequel's never quite as good. My favorite line out of that entire song is, we're doing a sequel? The studio wants more. Until they wait for Tom Hanks to make Toy Story 4. And so here we are. Tom Hanks made Toy Story 4. Lee Unkridge, back in 2010, after Toy Story 3 is out, and we're all profoundly weeping because Andy's going off to college, and but the toys are safe with Bonnie. So it's like, beautiful, it's capped. And they stuck the landing. They produced three wonderful movies. And Uncle was like, he was flattered that people wanted this, this stuff to continue, but we put a bow on it. But as early yeah. as 2014, same year as when Muppets Most Wanted, Tom Hanks, of all people, is like, yeah, I hear they, they might actually be working on a sequel. So you were there. Did, did they talk about how this project came about or they did and i don't know how much i can talk about but i could talk about the footage that i saw first of all if you want to know what that is let's start there and again there will be spoilers for at least what the first 10 15 minutes Uh, yeah 17 minutes yeah so yeah but so if you don't want to know anything go away (laughs) now but if you want to just know the setup of Mm -hmm. it this is basically just the setup of the movie so the movie starts very ominously Mm in a rainstorm it's nine years mm-hmm. ago and it's this great scene where rc racer who i don't think we've seen since the first movie maybe it was the you know the remote control car mm-hmm. that they ride into the moving yep. van is stuck in a mm-hmm. gutter and they do this whole thing to rescue uh, rc out of this gutter because he's going to be swept away and it's really great because it establishes that Bo is sort of the Woody of her room, of the little girl's room. Mm. You know, she coordinates Barbies to help out and all Mm. this stuff. And it's it's an amazing scene and it's full of drama and Mm. tension. And I should note that this is the first widescreen Toy Story movie. That it's actually, I think, 2391. And they use these crazy anamorphic, Mm. you know, lenses, quote unquote Mm. lenses. And it's got all this great distortion on the rain and everything. And at the end of the scene, somebody comes to Andy's house and collects mm. Bo. They're taking Bo away. And there's this amazing scene where Woody sneaks into the back of this anonymous person's mm. car and is talking to Bo. And she says, you know, he says, you know, toys get lost all the time. You can come back with us or, or you know, whatever. And she says, you know what, maybe it's my time to go. And it's this amazing scene that is just so mature and it just gives you this lump mm-hmm. in your throat watching it. And it's just incredible. It's just amazing. And then it flash it does this really cool montage of sort of like through mm-hmm. the years. That's where you see the sort of young Andy mm-hmm. stuff from the trailers. And it goes all the way up until the last scene of Toy Story mm-hmm. 3 and handing it off to Bonnie. And now we're, you know, with Bonnie. Mm-hmm. And Woody is incredibly anxious because she's going to school now without him. And she makes Forky uh, sort of at Woody's Mm -hmm. behest. And then Woody has to deal with Forky, who thinks that he is Mm -hmm. trash, that all of his memories Mm -hmm. are that he's just bits of trash and wants to just go into the the trash can Mm -hmm. all the time. And this is the footage that they showed at CinemaCon. Mm -hmm. 
then we got a couple of more scenes. We got the introduction of Gabby mm-hmm. Gabby, who is the big mm-hmm. bad. She is the, the mm-hmm. heavy. And we got a scene inside of a pinball mm-hmm. machine with Bo Peep where they meet my favorite character in fiction, Duke Kaboom, mm-hmm. the um, Canadian mm-hmm. stuntman uh, voiced by Keanu Reeves. Yeah, there's some more stuff with Bo in there and, and sort of Woody's reintroduction to Bo that's really cool. And she's a very different character. Uh, there's also a kind of Polly Pocket-esque character named Giggles McDimple, mm-hmm. which is very cool. And you'll really love because her face is mm-hmm. 2D animation. Throughout the entire two days we were there, director Josh Cooley kind of teased, you know, we're taking this very seriously. We're not doing it just to Mm -hmm. do it. He kept sort of referring obliquely to the fact that they had found a hook that makes the movie worth doing. But we we don't know what that Mm -hmm. hook is because it's a spoiler. So there's all that. And for fans of uh, Toy Story The Time Mm -hmm. Forgot, which is one of my favorite Mm -hmm. things, there is a reference to Maximus, the little dinosaur gladiator. But you don't, he's not in oh, the movie. So okay. the widescreen was that one of the reason, you know, one of the ways they said, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this. Let's do something different yeah. or, you know, or change up the look a bit. Yeah. It looks really, really different. I mean, Bo's model is incredibly different. And I sat through an entire mm-hmm. panel sort of discussion from the Bo creative team about how they made her so different because she is. Just, I mean, she hasn't been seen on screen in 20 years. Sometime in the not-so-distant future, we're going to sit down and, you know, on Freeform, they're going to do one of those days where it's Toy Story 1, 2, 3, 4. Yeah, for sure. How are they justifying her change in look? Well, so Bo in this movie is a lost toy. So she's been out in the wilds mm-hmm. of suburbia for however many years. And there's actually this amazing... Mm-hmm drawing that we saw that Josh Cooley did where she's got like different arms and legs from different Mm -hmm. toys. So she's like a real kind of post-apocalyptic sort of Linda Hamilton and and Terminator 2 style. She's not quite that in the finished Mm -hmm. movie, but that is sort of the justification that she's grown up, that she's changed. She's had to sort of survive on her own without a, without a child. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the push and pull of the movie is that Woody is so beholden to Mm -hmm. Bonnie and that's his sort of philosophical point of view. And Bo is so into the life that she leads mm-hmm. alone. And she's trying to tell Woody, it's not that bad to not have mm-hmm. a child and just kind of like, you know, just exist in the world. So that's that's the kind of push and pull of the movie, which I think is very interesting. As I understand it, the whole point of the Forky arc is that Woody is very protective of Forky because... Bonnie made Forky at kindergarten, and he's worried that yes. if she loses Forky, that somehow kindergarten is going to be ruined for her. And, you know, this is a yes. huge moment in, in Bonnie's life, you know, that she's beginning school. And if this can, becomes a bad experience for her, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad ramifications. So he, like Andy, is putting his owner, the, the, the child that owns him, first and yeah. as I understand that, that that also creates a lot of conflict with the other toys in, in Bonnie's room because they don't get what Forky is. It seems like a lot of the beginning of the movie is him kind of like convincing Forky that he's a mm-hmm. toy, that he's worthy of this, that Bonnie loves him. So it, there's a lot of really interesting kind of mm-hmm. dynamics. But yeah, the, the other toys are completely baffled by Forky. We didn't see a lot of the other toys and there was an implication that they're putting more buzz in mm-hmm. the movie because what we saw he was 
he barely registered. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting too, because it does very much feel like Woody and and Bo Peep's movie. I mean, the code title for the movie within Pixar was mm-hmm. Peep. So that's pretty intrinsic. I guess we do have to back up a little bit and talk about the initial development of this. Because I, I remember, you know, when, God, I think it was the first D23 I went to and when I got to sit down with John Lasseter and they were talking about how Toy Story 4 was going to be sort of this great grand love story between Woody and Bo Peep. You know, where has she been this whole time? And how Woody was going to rescue her. And this sounds like a very different movie. That, yes. But this is a bow that does not, in fact, need rescuing. In fact, kind not of might resent that whole idea. Yeah, it, it sounds like at one point it was way more of a kind of romantic mm-hmm. comedy. And they kind of pulled that out right. and made it a movie with romance. But there's a lot of other things going mm-hmm. on. Okay. Well. Listen, Jim, I was, I was in your shoes walking into the mm-hmm. building on Wednesday mm-hmm. night. And I walked out completely convinced. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful looking movies I've ever seen, animated or not. And I just cannot wait to see the rest of it because it just looks amazing. Wow. That's yeah. high praise given, you know, the last yeah. couple of, of Pixar films and that sort of thing. And let's talk a little bit about Josh Cooley because Josh was primarily known prior to this for his story work on Inside Out. In fact, I guess that's why he got his shot at doing the Riley's first date short. Which is so good. It is great. It is great. But on the back of that, that's how he got tapped initially to be John Lasseter's co-director on Toy Story 4. And then when John stepped away from the project in, in 2017, suddenly he's driving the bus and at this point, when you are three months out or less than at this point, oh my God, it's June. So they got like six weeks. Yeah. It wraps on May 18th. Oh. So, yeah. Now, I'm always interested <laughs> to talk with directors at this point because they really do look like raccoons. They're exhausted because they've been in the trench for as long as this takes and they, they're doing publicity while they're still buttoning up the movie. And, and how did he sound? How did he look? Well, he looked great. I mean, I went and introduced him. I introduced myself as the biggest Josh Cooley fan because I have a couple of pieces of his art uh, on my wall, including an original that he was like, oh, that was you who Mm -hmm. bought that. So that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, he seemed really comfortable. I think it's sort of in the final stages. You know, he was one of the guys that came in with the the kind of like rush of of new blood when Brad Bird came into the Mm -hmm. studio for Incredibles and... You know, I was thinking about why he did this and why he was so game mm-hmm. to do it. And, I mean, this is a guy who wrote and directed a short about the two guys who try to kick Ed Asner out of his house. And oh, up. my God. Do you remember that? He right. did that George you're and right. AJ oh, short. Geez. Yes. This is a guy who can make a compelling mm. feature out of any character, mm. any property, you know. So that's where I think he really excels. Mm. And I'm really excited. I can't wait to see him do a standalone mm-hmm. movie of an original idea because I think he's just so great and obviously co-writing Inside Out that's you know one of the Pixar masterpieces as far as I'm concerned I agree, so, I agree. Yeah. okay we've had Stinky Pete we've had Lotso how is Gabby Gabby different well she's horrifying mm-hmm. first of all and her she's got a bunch of uh, ventriloquist dummy mm-hmm. minions that'll keep you up for days <laughs> But she's very different. She has a very clear mm-hmm. goal. Woody has something that mm-hmm. she wants. I will okay. say that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the villains in Toy Story movies are always a little bit problematic, mm-hmm. but she'll haunt your dreams. I think it's cool that it's a female villain this time. It's a it's a baby mm-hmm. doll. She's sort of made in the same era mm-hmm. as Woody, so they have that kind of connection. Okay. It's interesting. The antique store is a really interesting mm-hmm. setting for much of the movie. I think it's going to be really cool. Okay. I think that's all I can say before... There's a red, you know, sniper's uh, scope. Okay, so so before Drew is taken out by the, the, the Pixar publicist, we'll button up here. But again, look forward to, to deeper dives in this movie as we get closer to its release. And Yes. Speaking of deeper dives, on Light the Fuse, what are we talking about now? All April is all dedicated to Mission Impossible mm-hmm. 3. And it's actually going to extend into May because we just talked to, I can't say who, but another Oscar mm-hmm. winner associated with one of the movies. So... Yeah, it's uh, really exciting stuff. We have some really, like, we have some big people coming okay. on soon, but I can't talk okay. about it yet. We will continue our, our mission of providing you with it, the only truly great Mission Impossible podcast. I, I agree. I agree. So. Uh, what I love about that you're doing the deeper dive on three is that, for me, this is where the franchise finally found its footing. Yeah. Well, anyway, in addition to the podcast that Drew records on our side of the fence, we also have... Disney Dish with Len Testo. We've also got Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We've got uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. And of course, we have the Marvelous Disney Podcast with the amazing Aaron Adams. And then uh, I Want That with uh, Michelle Valladolid. So please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show. Or if you really, really, really like what we do here, subscribe to Bandcamp. We've got some Bandcamp exclusive shows in the works. But we'll be back soon with another show. Till then, take care. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.